Hi and welcome to episode two of this podcast called Threads of Autism. The title for this episode is Autism Diagnosis and Beginnings. If you are new to this podcast and would like to subscribe, that would be absolutely amazing Um, and it will mean that you can access the show notes to the episodes that I will put there for subscribers, you know, just in case you actually sort of gain any valuable information from this podcast that you might want to refer to. So autism symptoms and how to react. Well, the easy part is how to react and the answer is don't panic. Your child is going to be okay and they are exactly who they are meant to be. Uh, The symptoms part is a bit more tricky because, you know, now that I know (laughs) that Henry's autistic and that I know so much more about autism, I guess there probably were very subtle things about him that I guess you would just sum up as being different. Um, But I'm not even actually going to mention them because there's not an awful lot you can do until they reach around the age of three anyway. And I really don't think parents, especially first-time parents, should be um, constantly looking for something wrong with their babies. You know, nothing will ever be wrong with your child if they are autistic. It will just mean that their brains are wired differently. I guess for us personally, um, and like many, many others, I think, you know, Henry was around the age of two and a half, Bearing in mind, we just moved to a new country. Um, We were in Singapore. And um, he seemed to have a hearing problem, (laughs) which I've heard a lot of other parents say um, is exactly where their journeys began as well. He just seemed to not be responding to his name when he was being called. And um, his language, whatever sort of little pre-speech language he had, mama, dada, that kind of thing, that seemed to stop. Um, But although, I mean, I have to be honest, I didn't even, that didn't even remotely concern me because his older brother, Ben, didn't say a word until he was three. So I was like, oh yeah, he's good. Um, He did do a lot of shouting. Now that I think back, it was pretty excessive. (laughs) And he seemed to always want to be alone, which I now know was him just trying to be somewhere quiet, um, predictable, Um, and and not have too many changes going on, which for him was basically people even coming and going from the lounge, playroom, wherever we were, kitchen. Um, So yeah, we didn't do an awful lot about it. Um, I did, we did sort of book an appointment for a, a, with an audiologist for a hearing assessment and kind of roll forward six months. Um, There's nothing wrong with his hearing. Um, although they did sort of, you know, suggest maybe like so vaguely, you know, maybe an assessment should be done because he, he wasn't responding to his name. Um, and we kind of started him in nursery school and that is where the penny dropped for me. I just, it had been such a long time since I'd seen Henry engaging with children his own age. Well, he wasn't engaging with him is the problem. But he started to last less and less each day. And within literally like the fourth day, he wasn't even making five minutes. And I asked to just sort of observe for a little bit. And that's when I really thought, okay, what is up with this little chap? Um, The nursery school staff, again, very sort of, you know, um, polite and vague and, you know, suggested I get him assessed with a pediatrician. Just, you know, regular sort of developmental 
for his age kind of thing assessment. So we did that. I kind of summed up my concerns at the time, which I did not know were basically like word for word, you know, autism criteria, but I did not know that. I didn't even know what autism was. And the pediatrician looked like so flipping worried and concerned and serious. And, and I just, I just wasn't getting it. I think she thought I knew what I'd come to her about, but I, I did not. So she recommended the Henry, you know, very, very, you know, as soon as possible, go for a, a full speech and language assessment. Um, and she recommended the center that I now know to be an early intervention center. So a group of, you know, highly trained therapists and specialists dealing with all sorts of diagnoses, but where they feel they can, can help these children. So we went off for that assessment. And this time it was a little bit more alarming because they knew what they were sort of, you know, assessing and they were pressing Henry's buttons and he got really like, wow, you know, they peed him off. Um, normally like the pediatrician and other things, I, I could kind of curate his behaviors a bit, but and they sort of sat me down and said, look, did I want to know the results now or did I want to go home and have a few days and talk to my husband? And, and I was like, what the what now? You know, flipping hell, just tell me, tell me what it is, what is going on. Pediatricians talking about something about labels that she doesn't want to use. And I, I just don't know what is it? You know, I don't know how I can help this child if I don't know what what is going on. So they basically said, again, okay, we're not interested in diagnosis. So I still didn't hear the word autism. Um, but they were interested in Henry and they thought they could help him. And basically he was, you know, he was three and a half years old and across the board, developmentally, he was sitting at nine months old. So that was a real kind of, it was such a shock. Um, I mean, I've never been one for kind of, you know, milestones and fine motor skills and things like that with my previous two we just kind of drifted along um so the thought that I kind of like how have I not clocked that this boy is so delayed and also oh my gosh you know this 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 is quite serious I guess I mean I <laughs> um I flew my parents over for a couple of weeks which was very much needed and hugely helpful um and my husband I mean all credit to him he was just so level-headed and so supportive and you know so unconditional and and just reminded me that nothing really mattered you know he, he Henry was already this kind of different quirky um weird crazy little boy <laughs> to us anyway we absolutely adored him and, and that wasn't ever going to change. And like our other two children, we would make whatever sacrifices we needed to make and do whatever we could do to ensure our kids were healthy and had had a good life, you know. Um, so thank goodness for that. I didn't kind of, I guess my own personal panic was more around the fact that I felt completely out of depth and I did not know how I was supposed to help this child and I did not know how to be his mother anymore I mean I, I I didn't know I didn't know what any of it meant you know um so needless to say we signed him up to this early intervention um therapy center immediately <laughs> uh it cost us a mortgage every month um but it was the single best thing we ever did I mean and, you know Henry's only 12 now but but today that was probably the most 
important and, and you know invaluable step we took not least because of the actual intensive therapy he received but because of the support that I then found I discovered mothers that I never even knew existed um and and I learned I started to learn how to help my child so um so again he started at the center by this time Henry is now oh my gosh, you know, um, freaking out in the car seat if I stop at a, at a traffic light, you know, when the traffic light's red, he can't stand the car stopping. So I'm now spending my time pumping the brakes like a, like a crazy woman to keep the car rocking. Um, and this center was in a huge like shopping mall and I had to park in the same parking bay every time. I mean, that's, that's impossible. Um, so again, he, he would be freaking out and he was becoming kind of unmanageable. I, I remember dragging him, almost dragging him across the floor to get to the, you know, therapy center. Um, and there's a little thing they taught me that I still remember today. I mean, just, you know, they're just those little drops of absolute gold. Um, and they trust me, they will come along when you least expect them. And they will continue to come along few and far between, but, but they are magic. And they just advised me to get him a little backpack and weight it, you know, so make it quite heavy, towel, a couple of heavy books. Um, and oh my goodness, what a difference that little backpack made. It kind of seemed to uh, feel him more, make him feel more supported and cocooned and I guess kind of drum out some of the environmental things that were going on around him and maybe help him feel a bit more grounded you know, it, it was very obvious that he was sort of not really in control of his body, like he didn't really seem to know where he was in space and time. So that was just an absolute godsend. You know, we, we got the backpack, waited it, put him on him, and he just took my hand and, and walked. Um, I still use a backpack today, 12, 12 years on, and I've learned another little gem about that, which will come up in later episodes, I'm sure. So yes, um, I'd better carry on here, otherwise this is going to be a very long episode, which I know none of you have time for. So um, again, just to say, uh, please do give me a review if you're enjoying the podcast. You can go to podchaser.com. Um, you can also um, follow me on my website if you, if you wanted. <laughs> um, I have a newsletter that goes out once a month, and you can find that at um, a website called Autism Threads. .co.uk. So yes, moving on to diagnosis. I mean, the elevator version, if you're in the UK, is uh, go private. <laughs> Sell your house or a kidney or whatever it takes to get a referral from the GP and go private. And, and when you go to see the GP, uh, be very serious, preferably take your partner with you. Um, be very specific and sort of, you know, give off the body language of I'm not leaving here without a referral. <laughs> um, the reason I say private in the UK, because, you know, in today's world, I mean, it was bad pre-COVID, but now it's insane. It's just the delays, the wait lists and, and the delays are just chronic. And I don't actually, even though you would probably get there in the end, I feel like you get an eighth of the kind of actual information that you're seeking. Um, you just get bumbled along this this very inundated and, and, and process that people assume you understand. <laughs> so um, when I say be specific, I mean really sort of focusing on what what those criteria are for autism. Um, this is going to be completely non-scientific parent speak. 
Um, and basically, you know, to me, autism, and I, and I think it's relatively well known, um, is difficulties or struggles with social communication, social imagination, and social interaction. Uh, there are obviously way more scientific criteria. Um, I think I would probably head you in the direction of the National Autistic Society website. I will put it in my show notes. Um, they have a page or two on diagnostic criteria, which goes into quite a lot of detail. Um, I think you could probably get links and access to, I mean, I think if I'm right, something like the DSM-5 and the, what is it, ACD-10. Um, ICD-10, there you go. I have to look at my page for that. Um, that are the autism and ADHD diagnostic criteria, but there are, you know, I think that I think it starts way before then. We actually had Henry diagnosed in Singapore, so um, which again the UK decided they wouldn't really recognise. Um, so um, it's it's now sort of covers things. Uh, DISCO is is the term for the form that it follows, an ADI um, assessment, which is ADI R now because it's a, a new revised one. Um, and then an ADOS testing, ADOS, which is more like observation. Um, so yes, you can you can find out all the techie scientific detail there if, if you need it. But really, you know, going to the GP and just basically sum up your concerns. I mean, they will they will cover those those things. If your child is very young, it will be language, um, interaction, um, you know, social imagination is things like. Um, which you probably wouldn't necessarily pick up in a toddler, but it's things like, um, you know, when you hear about this sort of very literal mind, um, or I think they refer to it sometimes as like theory of mind. So a very basic example would be, you know, we we could look at a, a painting, say, of a, of a Monet or whatever they are, of, you know, picnic and by the lake and people with their dogs and, you know, hats and parasols and whatnot. And we will look at it and instantly sort of go, oh, it's a picnic, um, and know everything that that means, whereas an autistic person would look at it, and the first thing they would see is all the detail. They could probably tell you how many dogs, how many trees, how many squares on the checkered um, picnic mats, um, how many women with umbrellas, you know, and then and then the penny would, and then somebody would go, oh, but it's a picnic, and then they would go, oh, oh, that's a picnic, and of course, that picnic is just that picnic, um, a different picnic is a whole another experience. Um, so that's probably a very bad example by me, but that's that's how I remember being able to relate to it. Um, and I think if you are very early on in this journey, the most important thing to remember is just sort of maybe try to imagine a kind of pyramid. And you know, the very base of that pyramid is is the strongest, heaviest, widest, most solid area, and that is your child's predetermined and very unique personality. It is who they are. Everything else that comes up to the point is on top of that. You know, their cognitive levels, their communication struggles, their imagination, interaction, all of that comes above. And for you to just stay focused on who your child is, um, is probably a little tip from me in hindsight, always. <laughs> So yes, I guess we move on to what to do next. Um, I would say, going back, sorry, you know, um, 
Henry's diagnosis again, you know, even with the diagnosis, they didn't really recognize it in when we got back to the UK. Um, so you go through this process, which, which I'll probably dedicate a whole episode to as well, um, in, a, in applying um, for a sort of um, EHCP, it's called. It used to be called a statement of need. Um, you do that through your gov.uk website if you're in the UK. And um, you know, I mean, basically, they they took a look at it and said, "Oh, we see no reason why Henry shouldn't, you know, just register with his local mainstream primary." I mean, can you imagine? I don't know who to feel more <laughs> concerned for Henry or the poor teacher having to support him and twenty nine others. Um, so I didn't. I just we just I just did not send him to reception. We applied as parents. The school can also apply if your child is already in school. Um, and I mean, it's it's a twenty week wait, which which actually doesn't initially sound sound that long. And I mean, I think during COVID, all those wait times were just thrown out the window. But I don't know if it's still twenty weeks. But I mean, that is five months. You know, that's a long time. So um, so it's it's a heck of a process. Uh, brace yourselves. <laughs> but more on that in other episodes. So yes. Yeah, so what to do next? You've you've discovered your child is autistic. I actually, you know, it was at that early intervention center. I dropped him off one day. I obviously looked like a complete flipping train wreck. And a couple of the mums saw me and said, you're new. You need, to, you need to come with us. And they took me downstairs. We had a coffee. There were about 12 or 15 mums. Um, and they were so jolly, kind of flippant and cynical. It was just like, whoa, what is this? They were like, um, so what's he got? And I was like, um, well, uh, what's he got? Oh, um, well, you know, they, they think it could possibly be a developmental delay and they were all like oh yeah honey mm -hmm. global developmental delay yeah he's autistic yeah that's it <laughs> that is the first time I heard the word autism um, and of course then you go google it and start freaking out um, and there's no need to freak out google needs to put more positive information up there and I hope it is doing since 10 years ago um, Right, what to do next? I guess um, early intervention, um, hugely beneficial. So uh, things like in the UK, you know, seeking, you can do it privately again, or you can get access, you know, through the system to speech and language therapy sessions, occupational therapists, uh, play therapy, amazing. There's an increasing um, number of people, you know, registering as play therapists who are fantastic and, and kind of work from their own homes. Um, if your child is, is non-verbal or non-speaking, they could potentially introduce a system called PECS, P-E-C-S, which is picture exchange. Um, it's quite, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Initially, it took two, a speech and language therapist and an OT that I was paying for to come to my house once a fortnight to actually introduce it to Henry because it's like, passing these pictures around and it it was a lot to get my head around but it, it was hugely um successful in the early days hugely successful um just just at that stage just to have henry tell me what he wanted i want and show me the picture of the grapes was just like you know oh my god miraculous um so yeah incredible um, and I think if you by this stage or it's pre-diagnosis or your child is still young and you're new to their diagnosis and you're you're already maybe starting to struggle with actually connecting with them. Um, you know, if their behavior's all over the place, I don't, I don't like to use the word behaviors too much, but hey, I can't help it. Um, and, you know, it's just very difficult 
they're dysregulated, um, you can't calm them down, or you can't figure out what's wrong, you can't seem to help, um, all of that type of thing that so many of us go through. Um, you know, give, give yourself a break. Make, make sure somebody can just give you a five-minute break that, that you don't need this, this kind of self-care as a total swear word to me. <laughs> because I know that often when you're that safe person for that child, a, a break is impossible, but I, I'm serious. You know what I mean? Put them in the bath, step outside in the night in the fresh air, take your shoes off, go barefoot in the cold, I don't know, do five-star jumps, throw a shot or something back, whatever works for you. But honestly, and actually just breathe like properly into the pit of your stomach. Um, because I know, I know things can get that bad um, sometimes. And just forgive yourself, you know, tomorrow's another day. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the books um, that I have found hugely beneficial and, and, and wonderful, because it's not a long read, um, is called Connecting and Communicating with Your Autistic Child. And um, I think I was kind of subconsciously doing quite a bit of it, but it's great to sort of read it through and, and take the practical steps to follow it. Um, and, and I won't tell you all about it. I'll put the details in my show notes. Um, and it was just really about this initial thing called clear time, where you as the parent, it is so unbelievably difficult to do. You completely consciously strip yourself of all expectations every single thing that's on your mind or that you're hoping to to gain from the child even just a nod or a hug or a you know recognition in the eyes it just strip all your expectations away all your concerns all your kind of detective brain work of what's going on with them and just be with them just be near them if they won't let you right next to them um stop your language and just you know 10 15 minutes that's it. That's that's where it begins. And that, that's your kind of entry point every time to getting that connection with your child. I, I love that book. Um, so yes, um, where to get help, I guess we'll finish off with. Um, again, I guess if you know to go back, sorry, I'm like, <laughs> hopefully these podcasts will get a bit more smoother and I'll stay on task. Um, my, my tips in 12 years on, um, struggling with your child at home is to, um, you know, put a really good routine in place. And I don't mean minute by minute, but just a really good daily routine. Um, it helps set their expectations. Be a, be so conscious of the sensory environment. I mean, if I, oh my gosh, if I had known back then how much the environment impacts my son, my goodness me. Sensory everything. And I don't mean, you know, I mean, there are officially like way more than five senses and and you can clock the, the basic things you know lights noises textures sounds but it's it's the environment as a whole it's people coming and going from that environment so a person walks into the room where they're at completely changes the environment for them sometimes they can't even cope with that which leads to transitions you know coming downstairs for breakfast going back upstairs to put your pajamas on you know that's a transition so I've learned um, and food, I don't know if, you know, food again probably needs 10 episodes, but, um, I can only speak from my personal experience. Um, I'm, I'm deeply grateful that Henry actually likes a whole range of foods. I have no idea how either. Sorry, I can't solve all your problems for you. Um, 
But I do know, and like I have to say it over and over and over again to every school he's been to, to every teacher, to every TA he supports him, if he is getting dysregulated, number one, tummy. He tends to eat to just past half full. He never really eats till he's full, full. He has a completely different kind of relationship and brain wiring around food. Um, and the minute that tummy drops below half full, oh my goodness, behavior's out the window. Um, so he needs constant topping up. Um, he's also ADHD, so he's never still. And um, yeah, you know, grazing is, is the answer of the day. I wish I hadn't kind of, you know, and again, like, you know, forget all the rules. You know, I, I had no idea the difficulties to actually physically sit at a table let alone the social expectations if family members are with you all like nothing to do with the food so just flipping forget about all of that and put the food on the floor and you know one hurdle at a time <laughs> yes where to get help back on task um i would say definitely national autistic society or wherever you are whatever country you're in look for the big um national level charities um, also in the UK, the gov.uk website under special educational needs. Um, it's, you know, it looks daunting. It is, it, it is actually written in very plain, easy to understand English. It does take time and patience and you get kind of, you know, redirected link through link and you have to find your way back and start again. But, but just keep starting again. And, and as you get to know your child and things will make sense and drop into place, so you'll work your way through through the website. They often have their own links to free advice services. Um, look for smaller local charities. Look for support groups. Um, and just try to start a conversation wherever you can. You never know who you're going to meet who will then say, oh, you know, my sister's cousin's got an autistic boy and they have a lovely support group. Maybe I can put you in touch. It does take a bit of work and it takes even more work to find the right one. Trust me, again, another episode. Um, and yeah, you know, start doing your reading, whatever, you know, you, you might be inclined to want to know absolutely all the science, all the psychology, everything, you know, go and read Neurotribes. Um, I haven't even lifted the cover. It's so fat, it freaks me out. But um I think for me personally, with a non-speaking child, and I only discovered this book when Henry was, gosh, nine, maybe maybe a bit younger, um, is The Reason I Jump by Naoki Higashadi, she says. Um, that really, again, takes like an hour, two hours to read. Um, that really helped me understand what was, you know, Henry's brain, basically. Um and yes, you know, your family and friends, you know, get them involved from, from the very beginning. <laughs> um, keep them educated. And um, yeah, just breathe, guys. You, you, you're not alone and your child's going to be okay. They are. Um, so yes, that's it until the next episode um, in a fortnight's time. Until then, do go and check out some of my posts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, they're all under at Autism Threads and have a great couple of weeks. Mm -hmm.